is Microdosing with Siphmans, short podcast on demystifying the business of psychedelics. Welcome to episode one, Defining the Business of Psychedelics, with our host, Zeifman's partner, Larry Zeifman. Enjoy. My name is Larry Zeifman. Welcome to Microdosing with Zeifmans. Zeifmans is a mid-sized accounting firm based in Toronto, networked internationally through Nexi International. Today, we have the privilege of being joined by James Lanthier of Mindset Pharma and by Henri Saint-Cassia of the Conscious Fund. And our topic today is defining the business of psychedelics. So I'm going to ask each of our guests to give a brief synopsis of what they do and their organizations, and then we'll get down to business business of psychedelics. So I'm going to ask James first. Great. Thanks, Larry. So Mindset is in the business of discovering and developing new psychedelic-inspired drugs, along with some processes related to their production. And it's really for their use as prescription medications to treat neuropsychiatric indications. So we're very much on the medical side of of the business. Our goal really is to design patentable drugs that evoke the same psychedelic effect as the classic public domain psychedelics, but do so with more predictability and with greater stability in a way that optimizes them for their use as as prescription medication in the future. Good. Thanks, James. Okay. Uh, Thank you, Larry. I am a venture capitalist. So the Conscious Fund is an investment fund and we invest into early stage psychedelic medicine companies, whether they are in drug discovery like James or clinics or any of the different subsectors. And the goal of the fund really is to illuminate what is a very complex space for private investors that haven't got the resources to do due diligence, study the market, understand the science behind these companies. And our goal is to back and help to scale tomorrow's winners. So we go in early Um, We work with founders, we work with other investors, and we help companies to raise more money, grow their operations, expand internationally, and guide them towards a successful exit. Very good. Very interesting. My first question is, how would each of you define the business of psychedelics? And I'll ask Henri to uh, comment first. The business of psychedelics is gently and I stress gently, monetizing beneficial psychedelic compounds for the treatment of mental health, addiction, pain, and wellness. It is using these compounds in a commercial setting to benefit patients that at the moment fall very squarely in mental health and addiction. Pain is relatively new, but that's very much coming to the forefront. Thanks. Uh, James, you want to add anything to that? I think that's an excellent definition. I think what I would emphasize or expand on a little bit is that this is a market that's still really in its infancy. As Henri mentioned, it really is going to be a market around treatment. And I think this is important for for investors to pay attention to and and understand, which is the the number of jurisdictions in the world where there, there is free recreational access to psychedelics is extremely low. There are a few countries in the world where they're not scheduled drugs, but those are that's a very limited number of them. There's no doubt, I would say, that there are challenges to this industry. And I'd like to hear from each of you, if you don't mind, sharing with us some of the challenges you faced in the space. What advice would you give any new entrants? I'm going to say something quite brutal, and that's if you are a new entrant, 
you probably shouldn't be in this market. This market, although it's early, did not appear overnight. It isn't, as James very wisely pointed out, it's got nothing to do with the mechanics of cannabis. There's no rec market or the recreational market is of fractional importance. The medical market for psychedelic compounds is going to be a hundred times larger. It is the only one that's going to have legislative support. So this isn't cannabis. And I think the idea that you can come up with a kind of psychedelic concept and launch it is a little bit too cannabis. This is about taking long-standing projects, research that has been going on for decades, and commercialising it. So if you're a new entrant, you've really got to be looking at how you can build a team that contains people that have got long expertise of this market it's not something you just want to be throwing yourself into it is complex the substances are complex as i'm sure james will tell you the science is fiendishly complex the most important thing is that you have an experienced team you've also got to collaborate within the market it is a very intimate space there's probably, I don't know, just two or 3,000 people globally that are involved with it. You've got to network. You've got to understand the competition. I think a lot of what a lot of new entrants will do is they will take ideas coming out of Europe, North America, Canada, and they will export them to other jurisdictions. The really hardcore companies that are in drug discovery have got people that have been in it for years, and that is the most fundamental thing that you need. The other piece of advice is that it's a new space and rules are being kind of processes are being invented as people go along. Data, best practices, ethics, all these other things that are a requirement for the industry can be found in a highly developed form elsewhere. So if you're discovering drugs, look at pharmaceutical and bioscience companies. If you're developing a wellness retreat, look at high-level um, non-psychedelic retreats because there isn't much data in psychedelics. It is super new. So you've got to import talent, best practices, everything from elsewhere and shape that into your psychedelic venture. Sounds like very good advice. Uh, James? Another, another great answer. I, I would echo what, what Henri said. And again, he mentioned this is a very collaborative open space. And I think it's not hard to reach out to people and, and get them to at least chat the concept through with you. Unquestionably, it is a vastly more scientific space than, say, cannabis was. You know, what were thought to be kind of the early key success factors in cannabis around production capacity and licenses those are much less important or likely not ever going to be as important in psychedelics as things like, you know, intellectual property and, and treatment methods and that kind of thing. Now that's all to say there's tons of opportunity in this space. And I don't think anybody should be deterred from immersing themselves, learning the science, trying to figure out where the opportunities are. For all the drug discovery companies that are out there right now, there's hundreds of psychedelics. There's tremendous amounts of unexplored corners and underexplored molecules that could be optimized. There's going to be a whole new universe of clinics and approaches to using these drugs in clinics and figuring out the right setting and treatment modalities. So there's lots and lots of, you know, entrepreneurial opportunity, but you really, you really can't just hang out your shingle and say you're going to be a psychedelic company. You, you really do need to do the work and understand the hard yards in the science 
have been going on now for decades, funded by these scientists, you know, undertaken by these scientists at these you know, great research universities and by these different not-for-profit groups. Both of you skipped the first half of my question, which was, uh, <laughs> tell us a little bit about the challenges that you faced. One of the challenges is simply, you know, you, you have people who are quite expert in it and, and people who, who are not at all when you're... <laughs> And, and, and so sometimes that, that can require some, some gymnastics on your part to, to readjust, uh, you know, your pitch if you're an early stage company. Ori, challenges? Very similar to James. We deal with investors and what has taken a long time and a lot of money and effort and most of all patience was number one, convincing European financial regulators that this was psychedelic medicine and it wasn't a bunch of lunatics taking mushrooms and going off into the hills. There is a process of education with regulators and the same, as James said, goes for investors. You will either be talking to the ideal investor and an ideal investor has got a resonance with the space they may have had a mental health experience, an addiction experience, either personally or within their circle, or they've got some link to plant medicine. Maybe they grew up in the 60s. Maybe they used to go to rave parties. Maybe they, you know, they're married to a holistic healer. There are all sorts of reasons why somebody's got that resonance. And those are the ones that you have to find as a fund, because as a fund, we're not about making quick bucks. We will have to support companies over four, five, six, seven, eight years. You want investors that have got that interest in the space that will go on a long journey. So the challenge for us is finding those people, because if you get the wrong people backing your company or equally, if you invest as a fund into a company that's got the wrong mentality, something is going to go wrong. The key challenge really is patience. Drawing on the discussion of patience, uh, Henri first, tell us how you see psychedelics redefining modern medicine. Well, I think it's clear both from anecdotal evidence, historical evidence, and the vastly increasing number of preclinical and clinical trials and research of all kinds, that these compounds are simply more effective than anything we've got in our arsenal or armory at the moment at treating conditions that have been left out, I guess. If you've got something like treatment-resistant depression, if you are a meth addict, an opioid addict, if you've got severe pain of certain types, PTSD, as a patient, you're going to have currently probably a very poor outcome. Now, if you look at the promise in psychedelics, the promise is that that forgotten corner of the, the patient population will suddenly have hope of meaningfully positive outcomes. And because of how the psychedelic compounds work, and I think James is probably going to be more eloquent in answering this or expanding on this. The results are, are typically quicker with fewer side effects. They're more long lasting and they tend to be non-addictive with very few risks. Okay, you convinced me I'm going to invest in the fund. Uh, James, <laughs> James, your thoughts? To me, it's, it's really indisputable that, that, these, that these compounds or the next generation versions of these compounds are going to... It's, this is going to be, this is a generational shift in, in psychiatry that, that we're going to be, um, you know, witness to. The accumulation of evidence at this point, 
around their therapeutic benefit really is is incontrovertible. Like it's just study after study shows that they do a great job. I had a meeting a while ago with with a senior scientist from the Ontario Brain Institute who who you know doesn't have a horse in this race and and you know he called psilocybin the biggest game changer they've ever seen in, in treating depression. So it's it's very real what what is going to be doubly fascinating though I think is and I don't have an answer for what this looks like or what this means but I think what will be really fascinating is to see in addition to the drugs, the emergence of the new paradigms for for treatment, because as you would with uh, with an SSRI or one of the you know conventional depression drugs, you actually need so far the evidence is you actually need the psychedelic trip, and so it becomes what becomes incredibly important is is accompanying that in the right you know therapeutic um, you know clinical. Uh, framework. That's going to be really interesting. That changes the business model of treating depression. You're not selling a, uh, you know, a, a consumable that someone might take, you know, every day for the rest of their life. As a patient, you're going to be buying a different kind of uh, experience that's going to give you, you know, extended relief from your, from your depression. Between the new drugs and the new treatment methods, psychiatry has vastly changed. James, that is super important. These drugs are not, or the psychedelic compounds they're not panaceas. You don't just pop the drug and, you know, three months later, happy days. They are very profound experiences. And as he pointed out, you need an intermediary. You need a physician, a therapist. You need a program. You need to be in the right environment. They are enablers. They're tools rather than cures. And that whole approach to how do you deal with a patient, how do you get them onto the drug, manage the experience with them, get them to think their way out of these issues, that is going to have a paradigm shift or create a paradigm shift in the delivery of treatment alongside the psychedelic compounds. I'm going to ask one last question. This is great. Where do each of you see the industry six months down the road, a year down the road? Henri? I think in six months, you're going to see a flurry of IPOs or more correctly, RTOs, um, the bulk of them will be in Canada. You will probably, without naming names, see a couple of um, non-Canadian, much larger go public events. And you'll see an increasing amount of mainstream media coverage. As you start to get out towards two, three years, this is the time when you'll start to see these very seismic changes occurring. You might see some legislative changes which will improve things for clinics. You'll start to get companies um, like James's coming back with clinical trial results. And at that stage, you're going to see a kind of snowballing effect. And I think certainly in the US, Canada, Western Europe and Australia, you will see a flurry of activity around mainstream patient access. And you'll also see some microstates or smaller Countries, Jamaica, for example, is, is, is quite a sort of leading player in this, doing very, very cutting edge research and clinics because they've got more liberal regulations. So I think the window will be relatively short. Six months, there'll be a lot of investment activity and two to three years, a lot of kind of mainstream uptake. More or less, as you saw in cannabis, in timing terms, this is probably 2013, 2014 in cannabis. Thanks, Henri. James? 
from an investor or capital market standpoint, there will be, I think, a, a very major inflection point by, you know, probably before the end of the year. You'll likely see, I think, some of these large, better known private companies that are in the psychedelic space. You're going to all of a sudden, and we're starting to see this now, see, see more institutional capital come into the space. Um, in, in a lot of the capital, that's, I think, that's gone into the the, the Canadian public company so far has been has been retail and some some knowledgeable family offices and maybe a few hedge funds but you're going to see a, a huge shift with with real bigger uh, you know institutional capital um, beyond funds like Henri's come in, come into the space and so I think that's gonna that's going to be act as kind of rocket fuel to, to drive you know the space the other inflection point is going to be you have now, stage uh, or phase three clinical trial going on in the USA, uh, you know, conducted by USONA around the use of MDMA to treat PTSD. And you also have phase three for MDMA conducted by MAPS and phase two for psilocybin conducted by USONA. Terrific. I think we've had some really interesting information come forward. Thank you, both of you, Henri and James, for sharing your, your wisdom and your insights on the, uh, on the space. Uh, it's great to do this right when we're at, what do we say, 2013 uh, mm-hmm. of the cannabis space. It's like we went back in time, sort of like a trip, right? So thanks, thanks to both of you for joining us. And uh, thank you to our audience for joining us for Microdosing with Zeifmans. You've been listening to Microdosing with Siphmans. Join us for our next episode, The Path to Profitability, Governance, Regulation, Capital, and IP with guests Todd Shapiro, co-founder, CEO, and director of Red Light Holland, and Jeffrey Merck, partnered at Aird and Burles. Have questions or want to learn more? Contact us direct at info at siphmans.ca.